I hope there are some lessons. I, I, I've been thinking about this uh, the last couple of weeks, and, and I think there's some intriguing things at least. I could go in a number of different directions here, but Daniel chapter 4 is where I'd like to launch. Daniel 4, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 18. Um, may I have you stand in deference to God's word today, and let us receive this word together. I'll begin here with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the nations and peoples of every language who live on all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because of the spirit of the Holy One, God's is in you. May God add his blessing to his word, please. You can be seated. Well, let me give you a little context here. This is a story about King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. 
You see, in about 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar's army was used by God as a, as a sign of judgment against the, the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. He went to Jerusalem and basically destroyed the city and conquered the southern kingdom uh, known as Judah. And he took everything that was valuable in the city and took it back to Babylon. Now, one of the things he took was the best and brightest young men because Nebuchadnezzar was a very wise and, 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 and smart ruler. He would take these intelligent young men, bring them back to his city, and he would teach them how to walk and talk like Babylonians. He would incorporate them into his system, and then he would, he would give them positions of influence and leadership. So, so Nebuchadnezzar was surrounded by all these different cultures and ethnicities. He wasn't afraid of diversity, but his intent was to bring them in, acclimate them to Babylon, that he intended to make the most powerful nation in the world. And he succeeded in that. And one of these young men was a man named Daniel, who is given the Babylonian name Belteshazzar. And a lot of us in this room are going to recall much of Daniel's story. Now, let's, let's step back for a moment here. In Daniel chapter 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he recognizes this is, this is different than other dreams he's had. He's concerned. He thinks it's important. And so he calls in all his wise men and magicians and whatnot to interpret the dream for him. Fair enough. But he says to them, listen... I've had this dream, and I want you to tell me what it means. But I'm not going to tell you what the dream was, because I know you guys. You guys kind of make this stuff up. So I want you to not only tell me what the dream means, but I want to tell you what the dream was in the first place. And of course, these magicians and wise men, they're just, just, just not sure what to do here. They're frightened. They're, it's obvious they don't know what dream Nebuchadnezzar had had. And so he gets angry. He's about ready to kill the whole lot of them when Daniel suddenly stands up and says, hold on, time out. If you give me a day, I will tell you your dream and its meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. And so uh, Daniel comes back a day later. He tells him the uh, a dream exactly as it was dreamt and then gives the meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, listen up, everybody. From now on, we're going to worship the Jewish God because Daniel's God is really God. That's Daniel chapter 2. Well, a few years go by, and Nebuchadnezzar forgets his lesson. Some people are, are just thick up here. You may know some just like that. They don't get it. Maybe they've had some kind of experience with God, but it doesn't go very far. He's king after all. He rules the world. And in Daniel chapter 3, one day, I, I think he's just bored, but he decides to build an idol to himself. And he demands that everyone who can see the idol bow down to it and uh, swear allegiance and worship him. The ego on Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely massive. Are you with me? So you know this story. Many of you, three young Jewish men, however, refuse to worship this idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and... See, you guys are all Bible scholars. You've you got this down. 
These men refuse to give in. And so Nebuchadnezzar fires up the furnace. He puts them in the fire. But miraculously, they don't burn. And in fact, you remember, he looks into the furnace and he says, wait a minute, how many men did we send in there? And we sent three in and he sees four. And he says, one of them looks like, as he described, a son of the gods. Well, the three men come out of the fiery furnace. They don't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. And so the king announces a new rule. Whoever they worship, we're going to worship too. We're going to worship him. And, and he thinks, wait a second, I remember this lesson a few years back with Daniel. So what we see is this pattern. This man has this on-again, off-again, semi-faith in the God of Israel. But Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world. He's surrounded by people who are always telling him how great he is. You are awesome. You're the best thing that's ever happened to our country. You are like a god. Everybody loves you. So we see this. God has used Nebuchadnezzar. He had been an instrument of God's judgment on the nation of Israel. We know that through the prophets. He was an instrument used by God for sure. God has revealed his power and demonstrated his presence to Nebuchadnezzar on several occasions where, where there is no doubt that, 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 that God is real. But now, about 25 years after this, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And so what we see here in chapter 4 is him sitting down and actually recounting the story. Now, this is amazing. This is almost unheard of in Scripture. But here you have a pagan. This is, this is the journal of King Nebuchadnezzar. He is writing these words for what is now to us Scripture. And very interesting, in verse 4 he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. And so we know and we remember he's got power, he's got prestige, he's got possessions, he's got it all. Verse 5 says, I had a dream that made me afraid. Here we go again. He has another dream. And you have heard the description. The dream is of a giant tree so large that everyone in the world could see it. It was beautiful, even provided shade and food for some. But, of course, there was, a, there was a disturbing element. A voice in the dream said, cut it down, cut it down. And suddenly this tree is cut down, and all that's left is a stump. And if you look at verse 17, it says, the decision is announced by messengers. That, that word could also be translated angels. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living, now notice this phrase, the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. He eventually tells this dream to Daniel. And I can imagine Daniel's face goes white. 
Nebuchadnezzar says, what's wrong, Daniel? Daniel doesn't say a word. He doesn't know what to say. King Nebuchadnezzar has to coax it out of Daniel. And finally, Daniel says, listen, if only this dream were about your enemies. But this dream is not about your enemies. It's about you. And the Lord Most High has issued a decree against you. You will be driven away from your people and live with wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched in the dew of heaven. And Daniel says seven times will pass by, a a, a period of time, we don't know if that was a year, seven years, seven months, seven weeks, we don't know, but until you acknowledge that, what? The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to be your lot in life. You're king. Nebuchadnezzar, but you are not the king. Well, the story continues. Daniel says, however, what's amazing here is the stump is to remain. It's not ground up. This means that your kingdom will be restored to you. Look at verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge, and I love this phrase, When you acknowledge, heaven rules. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. You think you have a kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, but heaven rules. You rule because the God of heaven allows you to do so. And then Daniel begs King Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his sins and specifically i would have you note here how he calls the king to repent he says renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed daniel says to this ruler you need to repent O king your kingdom was given to you by god Repent of your sin. Listen, God cares about the character of rulers. That is firmly established in Scripture. And look, God wants a king to be a just king. And the greatest opportunity for a king to act in justice is to be kind and compassionate toward those who have the least. To think less of himself and to think more of others. To think about those he is leading. A just king is to be kind to the oppressed. To defend the, the, the poor. To help those who are marginalized. And Daniel says, you do what's right. And if you do, perhaps God will relent and this dream will not come to pass. Well... You begin to wonder, well, what's he going to do? How's this going to end? And the Bible tells us, 12 months later, one year, king, the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, is this the great Babylon I have built, on the royal res- built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Uh-oh. 
Look at the next verse. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. Why? Because heaven rules. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that what? The Most High is sovereign and rules all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And the Bible says, suddenly he thought he was an ox and he went out into the field and began to eat grass. Wow. Life changes quickly. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this and I read this, I'm thinking, man, this is weird. This just, this just is very odd. He goes from king to a cow in a moment. <laughs> but wait again, who's telling this story? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is writing this all down because after seven times, the passage of time, we we really aren't sure if it was years, months, weeks. He says this, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes where? Toward heaven, because heaven rules. And my sanity was restored Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he goes on, and this is how he concludes, verse 37, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Why? Because heaven rules. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. Now that's a really important lesson for us. Here's the thing. 40 years go by. Long time. King Nebuchadnezzar is now dead. The Babylonian Empire, in fact, begins to wane. In fact, the the big kid on the block, really, the big dog is the Persian Empire right next to Babylon, led by Cyrus the Great. They're the ones who seem to be the cutting edge right now. And so leading Babylon is Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He's on the throne But now we see that the Persian army is invading and and they are at the gates of Babylon. The city is under a siege. But Belshazzar, this, this son who was born into wealth and privilege and power and possessions and all those things, is so used to his privilege, so used to his power, so used to his possessions, he believes that the city is impregnable. He can't imagine things not going his way because they always go his way. He's not worried a bit. And just to show his confidence, he throws a great banquet. He throws a party of parties. And what we're told in Scripture is that he dedicates this party to Marduk, 
Marduk is a Babylonian god. And, and remember, when old King Nebuchadnezzar conquered a city, he had this habit of taking all the valuables in the city and bringing it back to Babylon. And most especially, he would go into their religious places and take the idols and all the good stuff and take it back to Babylon. So Belshazzar decides that during this party, as he brings in Marduk, he sets Marduk in the middle of the banquet, and he begins to go through and find all the idols that they had collected from all the conquered nations, and he puts them in a semicircle around Marduk as a reflection of the fact that our God, Marduk, can protect us from any other nation. Our God is in control. Our God wins. Now, the problem was when Nebuchadnezzar had taken Jerusalem, you'll remember that, of course, Jews didn't have any idols in their temple because they didn't worship idols. They didn't have any image of their God. So they took the next best thing. They took the gold and the cups and the bowls and the silver out of the temple. So, so when, when uh, they take the bowls and the cups from the old temple, Belshazzar takes these cups and he begins to use them at the party. He begins to drink wine from them. All is a symbol that the Jewish God is out of business. The Jewish God has no power. He never learned and never applied the lessons from his grandfather. So right in the middle of the party, and if you grew up in church, you probably remember this story right in the middle of the party the persian army remember is right outside the gates Ah, no worries belshazzar is looking up on the wall and suddenly (laughs) suddenly he sees the plaster falling off the wall and it's as if a giant finger is writing letters on the wall Everybody's eyes are suddenly fixed on the wall. Can you imagine? The music stops, the laughter stops, the drinking stops. And the Bible tells us that Belshazzar was so afraid that his knees gave way. What do you do? Well, this is what kings do. They call in their magicians and their wise men and say, okay, tell me what this means. Tell me what's written on the wall. And it's interesting to me that he offers them prestige and power and possessions if they can tell him what it means on the wall. But they can't. Suddenly, Belshazzar's wife remembers Daniel. Now, by this time, Daniel's an old guy. He's probably at least in his 70s or maybe 80s. He's lived in Babylon all these years. And he calls Daniel in, and Daniel looks up at the wall. And then he looks at arrogant Belshazzar, dripping with fear. And he says, you may keep your gifts to yourself. Give them to someone else for all I care. I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. He says, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Let me just pause right there. Belshazzar, remember, my God, 
the God, the King of kings, loaned your grandfather greatness and splendor and majesty. It was given to him. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. In other words, you should know this story, Belshazzar. It is a part of your family story. You should know this like the back of your hand. Until he acknowledged what? That the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You see, heaven rules. Belshazzar, Marduk can't help you. Now, there are the four words, mene, mene, tekel, parson. Daniel goes quickly through what those mean, mene. God has numbered your days, Daniel says. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought them to an end. One thing I I want you to hear this morning is that God has numbered our days. Our time on this earth is going to end. All of us are destined for a moment when we are going to die. We may be a king or not a king, But our position and power and prestige and possessions, they're not going to last. But I think this tells us something else, too. uh, Belshazzar, you realize you, you, you didn't birth yourself. You were not your own idea. You were given your position, your family, your nation, your intellect your family characteristics, you didn't earn it. Listen, when we fall into a trap where we somehow think we are better than others because of what we've done or what we have, when we get full of ourselves, you do realize that whatever you have, you're going to lose someday. Whatever it is, is going to come to an end. That you are a king, but you are not the king of kings. You might be a boss, but you're not the boss of bosses. You're great, but not the greatest. You do realize that your days are numbered. And it looks like your number is about up. Second word. Tackle. You have been weighed on the scale and found wanting. Belshazzar, you are accountable. Someone else has weighed you. Someone else has judged you. You are held accountable. There is someone greater, and you are about to give an account. God hates pride. And the last word, parson. Your kingdom is divided, and it will be given to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar, your kingdom is done. Now, I told you we're going to go through this story. Here's the most fascinating and interesting part to me. A week or so before the Persians surrounded the city, they had gone a mile or two up the Euphrates River and redirected the river into the swamp. 
So the Euphrates River, it actually ran into and through Babylon. It's where they got their water. It went under the wall. So the river level has been slowly but surely dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. And what's interesting here, the timing is so fascinating. When the sun set, the Euphrates River began to dip below the lowest point in the walls of Babylon. And so at that very moment when he's having this party and as Daniel is making his proclamation, the Persian army is just already slipping into the city. And it was taken that night and Belshazzar was captured that night and Belshazzar in fact was executed that night. Why? Because the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, why in the world did we spend so much time this morning for me to tell you that story? Well, one thing that jumps out at me And this is such good news for us as Christians. Whoever wins this upcoming election, and I don't know who will win, but of this we can be sure. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Heaven rules. God is on the throne today. God will be on the throne on election day, and God will be on the throne the day after the election, Christian. We need not fear or worry. But I will tell you this. Sometimes God gives us leaders because we need leadership. And sometimes God gives us leaders because we are under judgment. Regardless, the king of kings is still on the throne. And his purposes will never be thwarted. But this means something else too. It occurred to me the other day that Nebuchadnezzar himself could have never imagined the wealth that I have. You think he would have traded in a moment? You realize I have flown to the other side of the world in a matter of hours. Yeah, just little old me. On a mission trip. I have access to information with the touch of a screen. All the world's information. I can see what is happening anywhere in the world by television or internet. I can take a hot shower. I can go and get cold food in a refrigerator. I can get in my car that would be faster than any of Nebuchadnezzar's chariots. My bed is softer. My food is richer. I have entertainment options that he could have never imagined. So what I'm getting at is this. This message is not just for the king's This message is for any of us who have power, prestige, possessions, 
Oh, well, Pastor, well, that, that strikes me. You're not talking to me this morning. <laughs> well, if I were to compare your situation with whatever, with, with most people in the world, even today, never mind throughout history, would they think that you have power and prestige and possessions? I'm guessing they say yes. I almost guarantee it. You realize, you look around, we are in a room of princes and princesses of privilege. Amazing privilege. And this story reminds us that whatever we have is a stewardship. No matter what you have, no matter how much power or how many possessions or how much prestige, it's a stewardship. And I can never afford to get so puffed up and get arrogant thinking that what I deserve is is all this good in my life. It has been placed in my hands. We are managing something that we did not create and we will not hold on to forever because our lives on this earth are temporary. When I think about my intellect or my position, the fact that I was born in the United States of America, my family, the privilege I had growing up as a, in a Christian home was not something I earned or even considered or got to put together. It was a gift. And so I have been given so very much. And so I should spend my days thinking of it as a stewardship. God blessed me so I could be a blessing. And by the way, I will be held accountable. You know, when we think about our lives from that perspective, we should never be prideful, but grateful. We should never become arrogant, but instead awed that God would choose to give us so very much. But whatever we were given wasn't for us. What he gave to us was so that we could benefit others who might have less. You know, that thinking has helped me even think about how I'm going to vote this year. Listen, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I've had people ask me, well, how should I vote, Pastor? And I'm not going to go there. I, I don't think that I should do that. But this is my conclusion. If you are voting out of your own self interest, then maybe you haven't learned this lesson. Whatever vote you cast, Cast it for the interest and well-being of others. Whenever I cast my vote, it will be based on what I believe is in the best interest of others. And if you do that, I believe you can vote in good conscience. This is what I believe is best for others. Vote as a citizen of heaven because heaven rules. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a tree. And I want to just remind you, the Christian story is about a tree. And this one held the king of kings, and he would be nailed to it. 
And under its shade, many would find relief. Many would find full uh, food for their souls, mercy and grace and salvation. And Christ laid down his majesty because he wanted to give you one more gift. All the things you've been given, all the privileges you have. He says, there's one more thing I want to give you. The gift of eternal life in relationship with me. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his sins, to trust in God and live a holy life. Christian, that message is still true today. Where have you gotten off track? Where have you gotten puffed up? He's able to humble us. Don't let him have to go as far as he did with Nebuchadnezzar. But today, you can say, Lord, I need a new perspective. I need to be different. I'll look to Jesus. And when you look at Jesus and saw what he did on that tree, you recognize that maybe I need to live differently and think differently and be different because I follow you, because heaven rules. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this amazing story in Scripture. And, Lord, there are so many other lessons that could be drawn, but, Lord, I pray that we would understand this. Everyone in this room has been given so much. And you did it for a purpose. You gave us our privileges, our power, our possessions, but not for ourselves, but for the benefit of others, for the benefit of community, for the benefit of nations. May we use that power wisely. May we see it as a stewardship from you. Lord, save us from pride. And may we look to you as an example. And may we always recognize that no matter what happens, heaven rules, that you are sovereign over all the nations and you give to those whomever you wish because you are good and in control. We acknowledge, Lord, our need for you right now and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.